0: Well, happy Easter, everybody. Good morning. The sun came out. That's always glorious, even though it's freezing. Uh, But uh, it's it's great to be together. And for those I haven't met before, my name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's great to be here and online, in person, whatever it is. We're we're glad to be together. And if it is your first time, uh, before you head out, we do have a gift for you for coming. Uh, It's not a golden egg, but you grind it up and brew it. Uh, and run hot water through it. So, uh, yeah, not just the stuff in the back. We've got a we got a special stash just for you coming today. And we want to say thank you. And there's no strings attached. Um, we just we're glad to see uh, glad to see the church together. And it's good to be here. And what we have been doing this year, we've been looking at these two letters out of the New Testament, First and Second Corinthians, and they comprise a huge portion of the New Testament. Uh, and there's these two letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the early church uh, thousands of years ago, about 50 AD, to the church in Corinth in Greece. And he writes these, these two letters, and he wrote more letters, but these are the two that we have in our, in our Bibles. And we've been studying these, these letters and looking at them in these kind of mini-series formats, looking at various themes that Paul brings up in these letters. And today, we're not doing a mini-series, we're not doing a big theme, we're just focused in on this one little passage in chapter 15, it just gets to a, a concise and power-packed passage of the gospel. The gospel message uh, is what we're here to celebrate on Easter. That's what Easter is all about, is about the gospel. And that's what Paul brings in these few, this little tiny paragraph that we might just skip right over uh, in, in our Bibles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Josh just read it so well, but in verse 1, This is what Paul says to this church. He says, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Paul had been to Corinth before, goes away, because he's just kind of a missionary guy. He goes and plants churches and starts them up, and he left Corinth, and then he's hearing about them, right? He's reading about them on Facebook and saying, like, oh, no, there's some things we got to do here, and he writes a letter, uh, and then he, uh, he goes and visits them again, and he writes more letters, and in this passage... I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you. Why do Christians need to be reminded of the gospel? He's not writing this to an unchurched portion of the city. He's writing to Christians that are a part of this church in Corinth. Why do we need to be reminded of the gospel? It's foundational building block of our faith, and yet Paul's saying, hey, pause, time out. We've got to be reminded of this. And there's a couple reasons I could think of in thinking of why Paul needed to stop and say, hey, guys, this is what the gospel is all about. One is that we can become numb to the gospel. You've heard the Easter story numerous times. Whether you've been in church or not been in church, you know the Easter story. Somehow you threw eggs in it and chocolate in it, right? Now I'm all for that, as you can see. But we grow numb to the Easter story because we're like, yeah, 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 he died on the cross, he rose from the grave, he's alive. Yay, Easter bunny. All right, here we go. We grow numb to the gospel when we hear it so many times and so many times and so many times, and it just kind of loses its punch to it. It's like watching a movie over and over and over again. One of my kids' favorite movies right now is Encanto. How many of you have seen Encanto, right? It's not Encanto like I used to say it. Uh, I got corrected by some folks. It's Encanto. Uh, But I loved seeing it the first time. Songs are great. The humor is good. Good story about family. All of this, right? And, and you watch it once, it's great. You watch it a second time, oh, it's great. When you watch it 100 times later, thanks, Disney Plus, I can't watch Encanto anymore, uh, right? Because you know all the punchlines, you know all the songs, and you definitely don't want to talk about Bruno. And you're just like, no more. And I think sometimes we've done that with the gospel. We've heard it so much, we're just like, right, can we move on to something else? Why do we need to be reminded of the gospel? Well, for some, they're talking about it so much that they've grown numb to it. I wonder if there's people in Corinth that listen to it so infrequently they forgot about it. It became like a geography lesson. Remember in school, like you learned geography and you could name state capitals? How many of you could name every state and every capital back in the day? You're like, Vermont, Montpelier, it's behind me, so you can cheat. It's okay. I know that it's behind me. But I can't do it, right? I don't know it. If I said, like, Nebraska, I would struggle, uh, Thank you. Lincoln, right? As a kid, I could name them, And I was just like, yes, Alaska, Juneau, uh, New York. It's not New York City, it's Albany, right? Yes? See? But I don't frequently do flashcards with state capitals, so I can forget it. And sometimes I think, as Christians, we don't talk about the gospel enough to where we forget what really The gospel is we lose some of the oomph we lose some of the implications and some of the the information but but more than that the implications of the gospel so we need to be reminded of it to to not be forgetting it why else do we need to be reminded of the gospel thinking about the church in Corinth that I wonder as Christians hear the gospel frequently or enough they just start to say like okay Paul I'm ready for something else Ever hear Christian talk about wanting to go a little bit more deep? I want a little more depth. Give me some, give me some meat to my, my, my spirituality. And, and they, they just kind of look at the gospel and say it's basic, right? And the Corinthian church might be looking at Paul and saying, Paul, you basic. Like, I want something a little more complicated. I want something a little more, uh, you know, with some depth to it. Let's talk about spiritual warfare. Let's talk about speaking in tongues. Let's talk about heaven and hell. Let's talk about end times and, and the trumpets of heaven blowing and all of these things. And sometimes we as Christians want a little more complexity, and the gospel seems really simple. It reminds me of the little boys that I'm I'm coaching in Little League right now. I'm coaching six- and seven-year-olds, and we start every practice just throwing. Because as a six-year-old, I can tell you, they don't know how to throw. They just take the ball, and they just heave and hope that it gets to their partner. I mean, we're just like six feet apart, and it's just like, boys, all right, step, point, throw. Step, point, throw. Throw. Throw it over. And these kids, I swear, I have to tell them, look at your partner, because this is what they'll do. Hey! I'm like, don't close your eyes. Don't look at the ground. Don't point to that guy over there. Point to your partner, right? And they don't know how to catch. They want to catch it with their face, not the mitt. Five minutes of throwing and playing catch, what do the kids do? Coach, this is boring. Can we do something else? Can we do grounders? Can we do pop-ups? Can we... Can we hit? I say, buddy, you can't throw a ball. (laughs) You got to learn to throw and catch, throw and catch. Every baseball player needs to be able to throw and catch a ball. And we're working on these basic elementary things, how to hold your glove. It seems so simplistic, so basic, but they're not doing it. So I know I've got to keep teaching them, hold your glove in front of your face, and then you won't catch it with your face. And I wonder if the Christians in Corinth are like, Paul, can we get on to something else? Can we get a little more nitty-gritty in our faith, a little more? Can we get off the gospel? We know the gospel. The gospel, it's just, it's throw and catch, man. I get it. Jesus died. He rose from the dead. Move on. And Paul's saying, guys, we need to be reminded of this. Easter is about us being reminded of the gospel, the importance and the value of the gospel to the Christian life, and, and that You think about the gospel and Paul in these 11 sentences highlights the value of the gospel, that it is not just folklore, it's not just a story, it's not something that we just, okay, we covered that, let's move on. Look at the way he describes the gospel and think about what else do we describe this way. In that text, he says we welcome the gospel, we preach the gospel, we're saved by the gospel, we stand firmly on the gospel, we hold tightly to the gospel, we pass along the gospel, we're transformed by the gospel, we believe the gospel. 11 sentences, and he highlights the importance of the gospel. Is there anything else that you welcome, preach, are saved by, stand firmly on, hold tightly on, pass along to others, are transformed by, and believe? I mean, there's not much in life that I would categorize in that same way. But if you look through the text, the way Paul talks about the gospel, he says, this is what we we live and die by. This is a foundational building block to our faith, and we cannot forget it simply because we talk about it too much, or it seems too basic, or we don't talk about it enough. The gospel is valuable, but the gospel is also catalytic, meaning it brings about change in our life. When we put the gospel at the center of our life, what happens? It changes our perspectives on things. The gospel is catalytic in that We aren't just changing behavior. We are planting the gospel at the center of our lives. We're putting it at the center of our hearts, the center of our minds, the center of our lives. And what it's going to do is it's going to change the way I view things, change the way I view my life, my money, my marriage, my time, my eternity changes, the way I view eternity changes, the way I view my suffering changes. The gospel is catalytic. The gospel brings about change, and so Paul is telling them, guys, we've got to be reminded of the gospel. Now, buckle up. I'm going to say the word gospel like a thousand times this morning, Uh, so if you're keeping track, good luck. But what is the gospel? What is it? It's a phrase that we don't say a lot outside of church. I listen to a lot of sports radio. They never talk about the gospel of the Mariners, the gospel of the NFL draft. But gospel simply translates as good news. So there was a gospel of the Seahawks. They traded Russell, who didn't want to be here. So good news, he's gone. Get out. You don't want to be here. No? Too soon? All right. We'll mourn that later. But I hope he's terrible from now on. (laughs) Jesus, forgive me if I'm not loving my enemies. But the gospel is simply good news. And in that time, they would have heard gospel and been equated to this idea of hearing breaking news or good news from Rome about Caesar. Oh, Caesar is our king, Caesar is our savior, Caesar is our everything. Good news. But Paul is talking about a good news of Jesus. Like Jesus is our king and our savior and our everything. And he writes the gospel simply in a couple of sentences here when he says this. This is the good news about Jesus. He says, for when we, what I received I passed on to you As of first importance, this is verse 3 through 5, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. And Paul uses this phrase quite a bit just in those couple of sentences. he, He uses this phrase, according to the scriptures. What does he mean by that? Because in Paul's time, the Bible, as we know it, is literally still being written. So anything in what we call the New Testament, the New Covenant, is still being written by Luke and James and John and, and, and Paul. And so when Paul says, according to the Scriptures, what he's referring to is all those Old Testament Scriptures, those prophets, those authors, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And Paul looks at those, and he's got those things memorized, baby. He, I mean, he's a Sunday school Gold Star student, and he had the Old Testament memorized to a point where, when he's writing this, he's saying, according to what I know. According to the prophets and the teachers and the authors of the Old Testament, I see humanity rejects God. Humanity sins. Humanity is broken. And the consequence of that is death. And you see this in the Old Testament. They have the temple and they have animal sacrifices because the system that was created meant that, okay, if I deserve death for my sin, I lied, I cheated, I stole... I did something wrong. I rejected God. Well, there's a consequence for that, and I don't want to die. So we've got these animals, and I'm going to transfer that consequence onto the animal and then bring that animal to the temple. We're going to slaughter the animal, and praise the Lord we don't do this anymore. I don't do blood very well. But they would bring the animal to the temple, and and the animal would pay the consequence that they deserved. That was the old system, according to the scriptures, as Paul would have known it but he knew and they knew at the time that that system that was in place with the animal sacrifices was going to be insufficient it wasn't going to fully cleanse and forgive and restore and bring us into rightness with our God it was foreshadowing what was coming it's kind of like a movie trailer how many of you love movie trailers right you show up early get your popcorn you're like we got to be I'm late to everything except for a movie (laughs) you ask my wife I am late to everything except for a movie or a Mariners game. I'm always there for batting practice, too. Uh, But I love going to the movies and seeing the trailers. And because when you watch a trailer, how many of you have seen the new Top Gun trailer? Come on. Hallelujah. Right? Yes. Top Gun 2 coming out. Maverick. For those that don't know me well, my son's name is Maverick. Our dog's name is Goose. Uh, And we got a second dog and really struggled with what to name it, Charlie or... I couldn't yell Iceman across the grass, so we didn't name it Iceman or Jet or anything like that, but really excited for Top Gun 2. And saw the trailer and it amped me up and got me all excited, why? Because a trailer is foreshadowing what's coming. Is the two minute trailer of Top Gun gonna be the end all be all to that movie? No, I wanna go sit and watch two hours of Top Gun 2. Some of you right now aren't even listening to me, you're just enthralled (laughs) by what's going on behind me and you're just like, yes. Bring it on. Let's watch some Tom Cruise and fighter jets. What does this have to do with Jesus? But a two-hour trailer is foreshadowing a two-hour movie. The old system that was in place was foreshadowing what Jesus came to do, the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one. As Paul says in verse 3, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. We weren't going to need animals anymore because he was the ultimate sacrifice. That's good news, because I don't do well with blood. But more importantly, <laughs> I wouldn't have been a priest back in that day either. I couldn't, huh? But more importantly, the Son of God became the ultimate sacrifice for all of humanity. That would stand in the gap and, and truly bring the forgiveness and carry the consequences and the weight of humanity's sin but it doesn't stop with Jesus' death. It doesn't stop with Good Friday. There's Easter Sunday. You can't have Easter Sunday without Good Friday, but you can't have Good Friday. That's not a Good Friday if we don't have Easter Sunday. Jesus comes back from the grave and is raised, and in verse 4 it says he was buried and he was raised, and on the third day, according to the Scriptures, he comes back to life. The Old Testament authors and prophets knew that this would happen, that that the Messiah would not just come and die, but he would come back to life. They called it the sign of Jonah. How many of you remember the story of Jonah and the big fish, right? Even if you never went to church, you know this story. Guy gets swallowed up by a fish and for three days, he's in the belly of the fish and gets spit back out onto earth. Well, the son of God spent three days in the belly of death to come back out and conquer and bring life. The Old Testament knew that resurrection was coming. Paul knew, according to the scriptures, he would be buried and he would be raised on the third day. And think about it. If we skip this component, if we skip the resurrection, if we skip the Easter part of it, what is Jesus? He's just a really good teacher that died. He's a social influencer for three years who dies and is forgotten in the history book. But it doesn't stop there. He's raised from the dead. He conquers death and sin. And he does something nobody else has done. Think of somebody else in history who predicted their own death and predicted their own resurrection and then actually did it. You got anybody on your list? I got one name. The only person that I could ever think of. and I'm not, I'm not on the history channel, so, you know, I didn't study enough of all of humanity. But I'm going to guess, because we've never heard about him. He is the only one to predict his death, predict his resurrection, and then actually do it. He conquers death, he conquers sin, and it shows that nothing is impossible for our God. The gospel, right there in those few sentences, as he's, we just unpacked it here, but it's three sentences. That is the gospel message. Jesus came, he died, and he rose from the grave. Why? So that we could be forgiven, so that we could be restored. that we could have eternity with our creator? Is that not good news? That is good news. Let me get rid of the double negatives and all of that. Is that good news? Yes. That's where the word gospel kicks in. It is good news that you and I can be in right relationship with God. Now, here's the question that Paul then continues to answer. Without asking the question explicitly, he answers this question. Who is the gospel for? Some of you are mumbling, everyone, someone. What does Paul say? In verse 9, he shows us the gospel is for the worst of the worst. Because after Jesus' resurrection, he goes on this publicity tour, and the apostles see him, and all these other people see him, and and, and Paul is talking about all these people that are pioneering the early church, and this is what he says. I am the least of the apostles, in verse 9, And do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So he's talking about all these other uh, pioneers of the church. And he's saying, of course the gospels for the super Christians. Of course it's for Peter and, and James and John and those guys. Man, these guys are incredible. How many of us are like Paul? We can see the gospel at work in somebody else, but we don't think we deserve it. Of course, God's doing good things in them or in them, but not in me. I'm the worst of the worst. And that's what Paul's pointing out. I feel like the worst of the worst in comparison to all these other guys because he's, he's, he's giving you a glimpse into his story, into his background. This is a guy that hated the church, hated Christians, wanted nothing to do with them, but also played a part in having Christians killed because of what they believed, tore down the church, persecuted it, was counteracting the spread of the gospel. I mean, this is a bad dude. And when he brings this up, what is he saying? He's saying the gospel is for everyone. Think of the gravity of that idea. The gospel is for everyone. The worst of the worst of the worst. And some of us aren't the worst, but we feel like the worst. Like, Sean, I, I'm unlovable. I'm a mistake. I've been told that since I was a kid. I'm just, I'm just here. I'm, I'm an accident. Sean, you don't understand the mistakes that I've made or, or the, the, the detours I've taken, the selfish ambition that, I, that has led me to make decisions that I'm not proud of and I would never tell anyone. And Paul is right here saying, the gospel it's for the worst of the worst of us. It's for everyone. You cannot be too bad or too wicked or too evil or too sinful or too shameful or too whatever, corrupted for the gospel. That is the beauty of the good news. It's, that it's for everyone. There was no one in this room that was too bad for the good news of Jesus, to be forgiven by God. To be given a fresh start with God, to be given the promise of eternity with God. There is no one in this room, no one watching online, no one in this city that is too bad, too evil, too broken, too insignificant, too alone, too far away. I think there's seasons in life where we feel far away from God. We feel distant from God. And what Paul is saying is you may feel far from God, but God's not far. Who is the gospel for? And he shifts gears here to show us more of who the gospel is for because he, he, he explains this idea that the gospel of Jesus is a gospel of grace, and that's another churchy word we hear a lot in church. We don't hear a lot outside of the church. Nobody really talks about grace uh, at Starbucks. <laughs> Nobody talks about grace at Home Depot unless there's somebody named Grace. But when Paul writes this in verse 10, he says, by, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet I, not I, but the grace of God that was with me. What Paul begins to answer in that question is not only is the gospel for the worst of the worst, but the gospel is for those of us that think we're the best of the best of the best with honors. And there's some of us that have been in church long enough that we begin to think, Aye, aye, Captain, I am the best of the best. I've got my life cleaned up. I've been a good person. I say my prayers. I'm easy on the swears. You know, I try to do the right thing. And what Paul says in here is, I'm not saved because I'm good enough. I'm not saved because I check the boxes. I'm not given the gospel because I am special and you are not. And again, there are people in the room that think, yeah, I am good enough. I've been a good person. The gospel's for the worst of the worst and the best of the best. Because he says the gospel is rooted in grace. What is grace? It's not what we say before a meal. Grace is this unmerited, undeserved love. It's unmerited. You didn't earn it. Nobody earned it. The gospel is something that you and I did not deserve. We did not earn that kind of love. Paul, who says, I worked harder than anyone, right? And Paul's got a resume, not only a, a, a bad rap sheet, but he's got a resume for heaven. The guy planted churches, the guy was a missionary, the guy wrote the bulk of the New Testament, not all of it, but the bulk of it. The guy saw miracles, the guy performed miracles, the guy saw the face of God, heard the voice of Jesus, right? None of that is really on my resume, So Paul is the worst of the worst, and he's the best of the best, and yet he says, it's not because I earned it, but it's by this undeserved love. I wasn't bad enough, and I wasn't good enough. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the good news that Jesus embodies, that is lived out. And Paul's saying this not to belittle them, not to exclude them, but why is he telling them this? That they would be reminded of the gospel that that same undeserved love, that good news is extended to each of them. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to respond to it? A gospel that can change our lives. A gospel that can secure our eternity. A gospel that forgives me and gives me a fresh start. That's the good news. That's the good news. That's the gospel that we're talking about putting at the center of our lives. When we plant that at the center of our lives, that's the gospel that we're talking about, is pure truth of who Jesus is and what he came to do. What happens when I put that at the center of my life? It changes everything. We don't build our church on anything else. We don't build our lives on anything else. What Paul is saying is, Be reminded of the gospel. Put that at the center of your life and watch the change that takes place. We put the gospel at the center of your life, it's going to change the way you view your suffering. And that's one of the mini-series we're going to talk about in the weeks or months to come. It changes the way we view our money. We just talked about that a couple weeks ago. So those of you that are new, you dodged that bullet. Money in church, right? It changes the way we view our sexuality. Buckle up. That's coming this fall. It changes the way we view church. It changes the way we view truth. It changes the way we live. It changes our worldview, the way we see our neighbors, the way we see everything. Because the gospel is at the center. It is the catalyst. It is our everything. And so today is about celebrating that. In the coming weeks, we're going to do, right after this, starting next week, we're going to do a little mini-series and talk about When the gospel is at the center of our life, well, how do we not settle for a distorted gospel or a a convoluted gospel? How do we share that gospel? What, what What is that truth and what does that truth do to change in us? But today is just about celebrating and understanding and hearing, as Paul said, let's be reminded of the gospel and let's respond to the gospel. Let's pray, church. Let's pray. Wherever you're at, in the room, online, I just want to give you a moment to think about what we've been talking about, a good news that is for each and every one of you. Not for the super elite, and not just for the worst of the worst, but everyone in between. How do we respond to that truth? And the response to me is just saying, yes, I want to follow that. I want to follow that truth with my life. I want to respond by saying yes to that truth. And I want to give you an opportunity right where you're at. And You're not saying yes to Hub City. You're not saying yes to me. But You want to say yes to the gospel, to a God that loves you where you're at. wants to change everything from this day forward. wants to bring life and life to the fullest. So in an attitude of prayer, if you want to say in this moment, you want to just say yes to the gospel. You want to say yes to Jesus. Would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. You're not signing up to come to church every week and be my best friend. You're signing up, you're saying yes to a God that loves you and will walk with you every step of the way. That's what you're saying yes to. You just simply raise your hand. I want to pray for you right where you're seated. Thank you, God. Jesus, right in this moment, we just... Thank you for being our king, for being our savior, our source of forgiveness, our source of restoration, our source of life. Wash away our sins, wash away our mistakes, our brokenness, and restore us into the wholeness that you've designed us for and intended for us. Jesus, we say yes to following you all the days of our life. We say yes to following the gospel, to following you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. If you want more information on Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.